Hi, it's Paul Tizard, creator of Overcome Your Fear of Flying in 30 Days or Less. And in this session, I'm going to be talking about why don't people clap anymore when we land? This is something I noticed when I used to start flying, which probably around, let's say, 30 years ago, that people without fail would clap when we landed because they recognised that it was a significant achievement to be able to fly an aircraft so well and to land it so well. But people don't clap now. What, what's that about? What's going on? Because as far as I'm concerned, it's a tremendous, a tremendous display of skills. Now, it is possible that in the early days, people used to clap because they were just relieved to be alive. And maybe it was a clap of relief, but surely that couldn't have been everybody. That would have been a whole flight full of people. Because if you have approximately 300 people on a flight, and the research suggests that one in five have a fear of flying, not everyone believes it was a life or death experience. Some, it's just a non-event. It's a way of getting from A to B and a fairly quickish way and a very safe way of doing it. But they wouldn't have felt particularly relieved at landing thinking, Whew, got away of it, got away of another one. So we have to conclude that perhaps we've stopped appreciating how skillful it is to land an aircraft. You think about it. You've got to take, let's say it's a 400 tonne piece of metal with this tube with all of us in it. It has to take off at precisely the right moment, precisely the right power, the right angle to take off, follow its routing, which is protected by air traffic control, but also with all these minimum separation that surround all of flights. And then they have to land exactly at a certain point at a certain time and land in a way where it literally just kisses the runway so if you think about it if somebody is flying a, you know, a 747 or an a340 how far away are they from the actual wheels that pilot or pilots how far away are they actually from the wheels what 70 foot i guess maybe more i don't know so they have to navigate and control those tiny tiny movements all the way down to land at the exact spot they want to on the runway, touch those wheels down at the back, kill the lift, because aircraft are so great at flying, they just want to fly. They have to navigate, making sure that they get the, get the nose wheels down to touch the ground at precisely the right way. Uh, to kill the lift, you see those big spoilers will come up on the wings. A lot of things are automated, of course, so as soon as the wheels touch the ground, certain things happen, I won't bore you with. But there's still a hell of a lot to think about. And to do it so gently, to touch down, being, what, 50 to 100 feet away from the actual wheels and just using, yes, you've got your instruments, etc. And you've got a line that you can follow to land you exactly the right place. The skill that's required. And maybe we just don't appreciate that anymore. Perhaps we just take it for granted. And that's why we've stopped clapping. If you could see what pilots have to go through every six months in the simulator. And you know, if you took your list of all the things that you're worried about, put them all together, 
So all the what-ifs or catastrophizing, as they call it, all your catastrophizing list of what if they don't have enough power, what if they run out of fuel, what if an engine fails, what if we have to divert for an emergency, uh, what if we have to divert for a medical emergency, what if there's a fire on board, what if the pilot becomes incapacitated, you know, becomes ill, what if there is somebody who tries to take over the aircraft, you know, like a terrorist incident. What if the what ifs, the what ifs, the what ifs. So every six months, the simulators recreate all those scenarios that are probably on your list of terror and the pilots have to pass it. So imagine if you had to do your driving test, if, assuming you can drive. If you had to do that every six months, pass or fail, would you pass? Well, of course you would, because you would, you'd know you had to keep your skills up and you'd know that there would be a help if you weren't quite 100%. You'd get retraining and you'd, get, you'd be observed. So the pilots not only have to sort of pass those tests every six months, they also have to be safety compliant. They have to go through safety training. They have to go through human factors training. They have to pass a medical every year. And it's not just like you go to the doctors and, you know, take your temperature and, you know, you know, blood sample. And that's it. It is extensive. So every year they are monitored for their health just to keep them as much as they can in a healthy window so that we know that the people that are operating at the front are fundamentally well. They've been checked. So you've got all of that going on. You've also got the pilots are checking on each other. So from the moment they check in for the briefing, which is well before the flight actually takes place, they literally sit in a briefing room and go through all of the procedures that they're going to do, all the weight, the routings, the temperature, the air pressure, etc, etc, etc. There's a whole list of things and they also talk about who's going to fly out, who's going to fly back, what we're going to do if something happens. They, they already are planning for the what-ifs. So the good news about that is you don't need to because they're thinking about it. They have such sophisticated charts and plans to take them through exactly what they need to be able to do and know to operate your flight. And this is every flight. There are teams and teams of professional human beings that are monitoring your flight so every single flight goes through this process. So you've got to think about it. You've got this highly trained individual who's being tested all the time. They're also checking on each other. The pilots keep an eye on each other. So there's a duty of care there. They have managers that they have to report into. There's a huge network of people, professional licensed people, who all the time are just making sure that we keep safe. It's just remarkable. And if you thought about all of that, You'd be amazed. Not only that, do you know how hard it is to get to be a pilot? Do you know? I don't know if you've tried to do this, but just to get to a level, and this is assuming you get for all the tests, of course. So if you go the civil route, it could probably cost you the best part of maybe a hundred, hundred and twenty thousand pounds to get from zero to having what we call a frozen license. So in other words, you can fly, but you haven't got enough hours to be trusted with a commercial aircraft. You still need to be heavily supervised. So this frozen license 
means you've got, let's say, 250 hours or whatever you've got. That's not enough for you to be in charge of an aircraft. So now you've got to go through a process. You've got to be accepted by an airline, so you've got to go through all their tests. You've got to be deemed to be a fit, capable pilot. So even though you've trained and you might have borrowed 120,000 just to get to this point, you still have to then get a job to pay back the debt, of course, but also just to be to do the thing that you love. So pilots don't do this unless they're absolutely passionate about it because there's a lot, a lot to go through. And sure, you can do your training. You could probably, if you're really good, you could probably get through it in a couple of years. But there's a heck of a lot. I mean, if you ever get to see some of the stuff they do for ground school, it's amazing what these people know. So I want you to be reassured that by the time you see a pilot that walks onto your flight... They have been through so much just to get to that place. Now, remember, so you've done all that training. You've spent 120000 And now, if you're lucky, you're a very junior first officer. But you now need to be trained in that aircraft system. So you might spend three to six months just training on the particular aircraft type. And then, when you do actually fly, you'll be heavily supervised and monitored. So you'll be a junior first officer. So you'll have a very senior captain working with you or maybe even a training captain to make sure that you're up to par. So by the time you've done, let's say, three to five years and perhaps you're starting to notch up a couple of thousand hours, you're still not a captain. It takes a long time to get to captain. You have to get a lot of experience and you have to put a lot of time in before you're trusted. And again, it's not just given to you because you've been there for a certain amount of time. You have to go for exams. You have to be tested again. And again, more monitoring and your uh, expectations from the company and because of you're a leader of the flight are much, much higher. So it's not just giving out to anybody. It's given to people who are seriously responsible people, well-trained, experienced. So the message is any voice you hear that comes over the PA, captain, first officer, senior first officer, whatever you hear, you can trust that they deserve to be there because they've been tested. So maybe we need to start bringing back the round of applause when people land. I don't know. So it's got to start somewhere. Maybe it'll be you. I did try the other day, started it when I did a flight, did a round of applause when we landed, not because I was delighted to be alive. I just thought, see if I could get the trend going again. And I have to say I was a, a solo pair of hands clapping. But I still appreciate what they do and the pilots love it. They used to love it being able to hear a ripple of applause through the back of the flight deck. But they don't get that now. So, But we do appreciate you pilots because we know what you have to go through. And maybe we're going to start a movement. We'll start clapping again. Thank you ever so much for listening and speak to you again soon.